You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Crump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, for the first time since Labor Day, I actually was able on a Sunday to sit down on my couch, crack open a beer, not have to travel back from a Florida game or a giant game or something, and just watch football. And it was so relaxing. And with the Giants blowing out Washington, it was infinitely more relaxing. Something I really didn't think I'd see this season at all. A a relaxing giant blowout. So the theme of tonight's show is just relaxation. Because I am in a very good mood right now. And I think you are as well. I am. This is actually the most interesting thing is I had something that I had to do around 3.45, and I was really worried I was going to miss something in this game. And I had (laughs) no problem walking away for 15 minutes and coming back to it. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) who'd have thought the Kyle Aletta era would have began in garbage time of a game where we are up by 40 points? Who had that in there? Uh, <laughs> 15 minutes left in the fourth quarter is garbage time. Yeah, it was fantastic. So, um, His play wasn't fantastic, but mm. just the fact that he was actually in was pretty fantastic. Well, we'll get into individual performances. Um, if you followed me at all on Twitter at football underscore grump, I was you know, reacting to things throughout the whole game, which I try to do for every single game. So if you don't already follow me, follow me on there. Um, but I was, I was pretty active in this Giants 40 to 16 absolute demolition of the Washington Redskins at FedEx field. Um, do you want to go through some stars and farts? I mean, there's, there's a lot to hand out, I think. Yeah. I mean, we, we, when we last left you last, uh, Thursday night, we were talking about our predictions and we both predicted a loss. I predicted we would have no offense. What what do I know? <laughs> well, our, our our first two farts of the evening go to us. Um, the first fart is us for our predictions not being very good, and the second fart going to the cranky fan for thinking that I predicted a loss. I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't well, predict you know, a blowout. I, is what it was. You know, I, the cranky short term memory is getting you know smaller and smaller with his old age so yeah so so this is this is what our actual predictions sounded like from our Tuesday morning broadcast i really think that i think the giants win this game i don't think it's as explosive as people are thinking um i think it's actually kind of one of those boring games where the giants are in control right away but they're not so much in control with so many big plays that it's exciting to watch um, I think Washington just kind of hangs around about two scores back for most of it. I think the Giants win 27-13. I think they do it mostly by exploiting an absolutely decimated offensive line, which slows down Adrian Peterson, and they smack Mark Sanchez around and keep their defense, the Washington defense, on the field for long enough where they get exhausted and the Giants are just able to put up points. I don't think it's... Anything like we're going to see that w- that we saw last Sunday against the Bears with trick plays going for 45 yards or whatever that pass was and stuff like that. I, I'm just not ready to say that the Giants will win games like this. I just have a feeling there's one more turd in the, in the, uh, in the bowl this year, and I think it's going to happen this week. I think we are going to lose something, a low-scoring game, something like 16-10 where our offense just can't get anything going for whatever reason. Yeah, and I, I don't think we couldn't have been more wrong, especially you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what do I know? The more you think you know, the less you actually do. So, Grump, even before we start talking about how great we are, let's kind of start from the very top. 
Okay. How much of this was everything kind of coming together for the Giants? You know, the offensive line has been playing better. Eli has been playing better. Saquon Barkley has been more sure of himself. Or how much is this is really just Washington, you know, due to combination of injuries and quitting, just basically giving up on their season? You know, it's somewhere down the middle. Uh, when when you look at this, we describe this as a game that the Giants are supposed to win. And we are used to recent history where they blow those games. But here they came in and they, they just put the hammer down. Which is, you know, we can commend that without also gloating about it. Um, but, nevertheless, they came in they did exactly what they were supposed to do and what we what we expect good teams to do or competitive teams to do is to not only win these games where your opponent is quitting and and very very badly hurt but really putting putting the hammer down early so while i won't say that this is suddenly a team that's figured it all out and you know they they've got a real shot at the playoffs even though they are mathematically still alive for a wild card um you know this is this is that step in between they did everything right yeah I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have to dig out, and it's too late, you know, most most likely. But dig out of the big hole that this season started. But you know, we have seen a lot of giant teams fold up to tents and basically quit. We were watching this Washington team, you know, very similar situation than last year with the Giants, where all these injuries fold up to tents and quit. You know, this team, you know, we've been pretty remarkably healthy this year and i get it that beckham didn't play uh but as a whole this team has been a lot healthier than it's been for the past five years or so i think i think 2016 is an outlier too is one of the main reasons why that team was able to make the playoffs was it was so healthy exactly but there's kind of like no in between with this team where the team is remarkably healthy or it's ridiculous how unhealthy they actually are Mm mm-hmm So, you know, there are a lot of guys on this team that are playing for their jobs. They're playing for their jobs next year with the Giants. They're playing for their jobs to stay in the league next year. So kudos, and I will give a star to the coaching staff. Nice. for For keeping this team focused on, you know, okay, the goal of making the playoffs for all intents and purposes, is not going to happen. But for playing for themselves, playing for building something for this team for next year, the year after. And you're the one who's been a little bit more critical than I have about this coaching staff. I have. I have been. I've been very critical of decision making in games. Um, I was a little nervous the first couple times earlier in the season where. You know, there was some issues, and I didn't like the way Pat Shermer handled himself with the media, with this call-in show. And I know it's not a big deal on the surface, but it kind of is a big deal. You're setting the, the culture for what this team is like. And I have to say, I have been pretty impressed with the last four or five weeks of how this team has stayed together. Do I think he's the second coming of Bill Belichick? Well, I don't know if we'd actually have a tight end covering a Hail Mary or not. Belichick did, but, you know, no, I don't think this is Bill Belichick, the second coming, but I am willing to give this team, this coaching staff more latitude if I see the players playing for the coach. Well, I'll say this. Lesser coaches have won Super Bowls than Bill Belichick. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like he he can be a good enough coach to win or make a run in the playoffs without being a how, I mean how long has it been 20 20 years he's been in New England uh he started i believe in I think it was 2000 it's either 2000 or 2001 i think it was 2000 yep the end of the 2000 season the thing is you don't need to have a great coach to win a super bowl you just don't want a bad coach of course submarining your attempt to become a better team and you know win games that could you know help you down the line um, so you're giving a star to the coaching staff. I'm giving a star to rookie of the year, calling it now, Saquon Barkley. I know, real hot take, right? Um, Barkley had 170 yards on the ground on just 14 carries. 
and he added 27 more yards on four catches and a touchdown. And that's after dropping an easy catch. The only drop I think I've seen, including all practice, all the way back to OTAs. And how much time did he actually play? I mean, was that over... Was that even into the third quarter? Any I, of those stats? I mean, did he really I, he, do anything? He played into the third quarter. He did not play in the fourth quarter, I think, at all. I think zero yeah. snaps in the last 15 minutes. Well, what you're seeing now, you're seeing two things, I think, Rum. You're, a, you're seeing an improved offensive line play, mm-hmm. which A, means that you're getting better blocking. B, means you're able to do more in the passing game, which opens up the running game and the play action a little more to mm-hmm. make him more dangerous. And the second thing is, you're seeing a more assertive Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Think of the first and second game of the year where he was doing a little bit of dancing. And we said at the time, go back to the tapes, we said, he'll learn with more practice and experience and reps not to dance as little as much. And he'll hit the holes more and hit him harder. And already you are seeing that. And that's what's making him very scary. Let's also credit Pat Shermer for that too. I mean, it's been pretty pretty publicized now that he had challenged Saquon Barkley to try and make decisions a little bit faster and hit holes with some confidence a couple of weeks ago, and we're really starting to see it put together now. Yeah, and I don't want to mush it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I will. Nice job. Still, no fumbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has, he has one drop and no fumbles for all the times he's touched the ball this year. That's pretty That's outstanding. For a rookie. Yeah, yeah. Give me a star. Um, I think it would be I th- I tweeted something out that fans that want to see Alec Ogletree take a pay cut next year might be disappointed. It's going to be pretty hard to convince a guy who now has a fifth interception on the year that he does that he should be taking a pay cut. Uh, not only did he have that interception, but he was a force on defense. Still, he's on a hot streak. He had two passes defensed. One almost was another pick. Uh, he's playing lights out. In addition to being a leader, which I, I don't think, you know, leadership qualities are sort of part of you, right? But still, to, to come into this franchise via trade at the beginning of the year and become a leader on a ragtag team that's sort of being put together with some random, you know, veterans and some strong personalities, that's that's pretty impressive. And, uh, I think yeah, he's we, made a case to stick around next year, and I don't think they're going to be able to slash his salary at all. We've seen that. I mean, John Beeson was a guy that was traded and became a leader on the defense. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's what is in the best interest for this franchise long term. I mean, there is a lot to do. There is a lot of uh, roster turnover that has to happen. There needs to be a lot of changes. And – is Alec Ogletree Lawrence Taylor? No. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's doing a nice job, but it's a big number. So I understand that, does, but, but, but what I'm, more leverage, what, but. what I'm saying is if they, they're going to have to make a choice. If they decide that Alec Ogletree is not to stick around at that number, they can ask him for a pay cut, but I don't think it's going to happen. So they'll have to replace him. I, I'm saying the the middle ground take a pay cut option I think is off the table at this point. Yeah, I, I think that decision falls in what everything else they want to do. I think that falls into the what are they going to do about Janoris Jenkins? What oh, yeah. do they think they're going to do about Olivier Vernon? And I don't think the Alec Ogletree decision is in a in a vacuum by itself. Of course, so, I just think if know. they go to the negotiating table with that, they'll walk away empty-handed. It's he's possible. either he's either staying or leaving. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think and that my gut is they are prepared for him to walk if they had to. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that's all credit to his play, especially this, the last few weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, I thought Eli played pretty well, too. He took a couple bad sacks, but considering he's out without his number one target, the likes of Corey Coleman, who's been here for a, a few weeks now, um, you know, guys like Benny Fowler, Russell Shepard are out there playing. You know, obviously I know that he leaned on Saquon Barkley a lot. He still had Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. But 14 of 22 with 197 yards, three touchdowns, all without your $90 million wide receiver. I thought he played star-worthy. I thought he played really well. 
I actually think I might want to give Evan Ingram a star. Okay. I think, uh, you know, we need a second receiver to really step up without Beckham playing. And a guy who's caught a lot of shit from the fan base and the media in the last few weeks is hearing the bust word starting to creep in. Yeah. To come back from injuries and respond in a big way was quite impressive. So I I think I'm going to give him a star. And I I think something that some fans don't really take into account, and you know, it's easy to slam on the guy because he's not a great blocker. Um, He's at best a functional blocker, but you know, that does limit what he's supposed to do in the position he plays. But he hasn't really picked it up in the passing game much this year. It's been a disappointing year. But we have to remember that this is a very young player who came out of college, was thrust into basically the number one role last year, very early on, and then had to switch entire offensive schemes. Um, And and let's also be honest, too, that this passing game is not going to be running at optimal efficiency until the offensive line is further cleaned up and potentially with a new quarterback down the line too. So Mm -hmm. these are all building blocks. So all of these things are going to happen around the time that Evan Ingram hits his prime. And we've said this on this show a hundred times. We'll continue to say it. We don't draft a guy for his rookie year. Sure. We draft him for his career. You draft him for his fifth year option. (laughs) Right. You, you, you sign a free agent for next year. You draft someone for his future. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give a star to somebody who did not blow up the stat sheet. Uh, Sterling Shepard had only two catches for 17 yards and a touchdown. But, you know, I'm taller than Sterling Shepard. I weigh more than Sterling <laughs> Shepard. And um, he played with some kind of fire in his system in this game that – Maybe I haven't been paying close enough attention, but there was one play where Barkley took one down the sideline, well, across midfield from left to right, and Sterling Shepard came from the right side of the screen and just absolutely decked Josh Norman. And it's not just that play. I mean, there were about four or five plays where he had key blocks, and he's only 5'10 and like 180 pounds. Um he really was an all-around player and, and you know obviously he also had the touchdown catch in which he was wide open uh really sold the pick play fake that they kind of had going on there there was another play where Eli threw what almost was an interception where he sort of played defense an all-around great game from a guy who did not blow up the stat sheet yeah well those are the types of things that allow you to win and win big when it's not all about me and not all about numbers it's blocking downfield it's the little things like that so it's little things like preventing turnovers if it's a bad throw Mm -hmm. and you're right they're not going to be in the stat sheet but those little things keep a drive going keep a drive going time possessions in your favor keep a drive going more points chances to score points so yeah critical things that uh you know he, he i think he deserves a star for that as well I want to ask you a question, Grump, as I was watching this game, and I kind of relate this a little bit to the Giants earlier in the year, not necessarily now. Uh, the combination of the injuries and a team that looked like they quit, is this when you pull the plug on a Jay Gruden? Is this his fault, or is it something that, you know, he gets a pass because you're down to your third-string quarterback? Or are there different, you know, bigger factors that say you need to make a move? Well, I'm going to give you two answers, and I know that's not really fair, but... Fine. If it's me, you're not even in this situation. Um, what I think you have here in Washington, and I said this on an earlier broadcast some time back, when we were talking about this division, and one of the things I said was, I like where the Giants are because they have made a change, a very specific, clean-cut change, in head coaching, GM, and philosophy for this team. And when I look at the Washington Redskins, I truly don't know what it is they're going for, what it is they're trying to do, and I don't think that that's Jay Gruden's fault. I think you have an ownership that is impatient and a GM that does not select talent for his head coach. Um, 
you know, even the addition of Adrian Peterson, good though he may be, doesn't really seem like part of the Jay Gruden offense. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't seem like a long term solution either. Yeah, I, I I don't I understand also that that's a reaction to the injury to Darius Geis, right? Um, but still, you know, the last couple of years when, when Jay Gruden first came in, it really looked like they were all in on him. But they also played pretty well. I mean, the offense at least was clicking pretty well. And now this looks like a team where it's sort of relying on the defense. You know, offensively, I'm not really sure what the hell they're trying to do. And I have to be honest, I think that ownership is going to lose patience with Jay Gruden. And uh, this might be his last season. I would not be shocked if this was his last season in Washington. I'll say that. But if it's me, you wouldn't even be in this situation. Because if you're rolling with a Jay Gruden, you got to get the talent that he needs for his his thing. Well, I mean, normally, and I have been a big defender of coaches when they have injuries, especially the quarterback position. And when you're down to Josh Johnson, that is not – that almost, to me, gives you a pass. Sure. But what we saw Sunday, we saw a no-show effort by their defense. That's a good point. And when you start to see no-show efforts by the defense – you know, that's when it's a systemic problem more than lack of talent on the field due to injuries and the inability of the GM to, you know, make up for it. Um, it's the same thing we saw last year. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, okay, we are seven, eight, nine games removed from being 11 and five making the playoffs, but you saw a team quit mm -hmm. on its team. And, you know, that's where the coach had had zero track record, had zero coin built up in the organization. And then, you know, the erratic moves that were made kind of made it a lot easier to make a move. I mean, Gruden, you know, before they hired Jay Gruden, they had gone through a lot of head coaches under um, Dan Snyder. You know, they'd gone through the Spurriers. They'd gone through, you know, the you name it of the up and coming Offensive or defensive coordinator. Jim you've seen, Zorn. You've seen the retreads. You've seen the never has been to never will be's. When they decided to go for Jay Gruden, it almost seems like they showed a lot more patience than they had in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, even with the whole thing with Cousins and going franchise tagging with him a couple of years showed a patience that we're not ready to make the decision just yet on it. We're not ready also to, to, to jettison either. But to me, that that's a team that you know, still was playing for meaningful, you know, potential to make the playoffs and just quit. And when, when you lose a locker room, it's impossible to get back. So I think, you know, in spite of my better judgment of keeping coaches when quarterbacks get hurt, I don't think he's going to be back next year. And I don't know who they're going to bring in here because I do not think this is a very desirable job right now. I mean, you look at it. That place was three quarters empty. Yeah, it was, it was it was a disgrace. I mean, that's you're talking Giants Redskins and nobody cared for a team again that still has had a chance to win the division potentially. I think one of the things that was telling and I, and I hate sideline reporters cuz I think their job is pretty much Twitter now. Um but Laura Oakman on the broadcast said that at halftime Gruden, you know, addressed his team and said that we're going to stick together and we're going to get through this. And I know that they're down 34 nothing at halftime and, you know, they're in a bad situation, but that seems like such a submissive way to address your team. We're going to get through this? Yeah. I mean, that's... Is that like the, the pep talk you give somebody with cancer? The team will get through it. I don't think that Gruden's going to get through it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people on this, you know, individuals on this team are going to get through this. So, 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 how does how does this game? How does the future of the Redskins? How does this apply to the Giants? Well, I was just looking at kind of the path that was taken last year and how it applies, and also I think going forward with um, this coaching staff, where. When you are so quick to say, you know, get rid of this coach, mm. you know, this coach sucks, quote unquote, you have to look at things that, you know, 
what is Washington going through right now compared to what the Giants are going through right now? Mm-hmm. You know, you never saw a team that quit at all this year. You saw a lack of talent on the offensive line. You saw a quarterback that is not what he used to be and who can't handle necessarily a blitz or a lot of pressure. But you never saw the lack of, you know, playing to win. Yeah, you're right. So I, I, I think that's something you need to kind of pay attention. Now, it's very fair to harp on a coach like I have saying stupid decision, stupid decision, stupid decision. But those are not fireable offenses, especially in year one, especially for a relatively new head coach. I think this is what is fourth year as a head coach in his career. Thought it was his third third year so you know just because the giants may go on a potential three game losing streak to end the season or next year have a four or five game losing streak hey think about the redskins and use that prism to look at the giants to say do we need to fire the coach because he quote unquote sucks or is because he's lost this team i think that's where the peril needs to be you know how you can look at the giants looking at the redskins situation right now um, I'm also going to say, uh, as, as a reaction to this game, you know, I, I've, I've already said that Barkley deserves a star. I think I've given him one in every game that we've done stars and farts for. Um, and I've already said that he's rookie of the year. However, whatever happens this year does not mean Barkley was or wasn't the the right choice. Oh, going back to that again. Okay, sure. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I mean, this any any draft pick, it's a longevity thing. Again, like you said, you draft guys for their future, not for year one. Now, with that being said, do you have more promising evidence from one or the other? Okay, sure. You know, maybe Darnold doesn't develop. Maybe Josh Rosen doesn't develop any further, and this is what you're going to get. You know, and and if the same could be said for Barkley, then yeah, okay, then it was the right choice. But we're not going to know the answer to that until, you know, year five, six, maybe, with quarterbacks, it can take time. And, you know, the the nonsense that I see back and forth in, in Giants Twitter is was, wasn't, you know, we'll stick with this. It was a choice. It wasn't a bad choice. They just have to continue to make the right choices to supplement that choice. If well, the first thing the first thing I'll say to that is it's impossible to say well Darno developed or Josh Allen or any of these guys developed because they are in a different situation mm-hmm. than they would be with the Giants. Also true. They have different coaches, different uh, you know need how fast they need to bring them along, uh, different offensive lines, different. Everything. So what you see from Sandarno, what you see from Josh Allen, what you see from any of these quarterbacks, it's not going to be the exact same. You can't just, you know, transport it to say, well, this will be with the Giants. So that's number one. And number two, this guy could be Jim Brown. If they do not find a way to replace Eli Manning, in year two, three, five, seven, nine, eleven of his career, Saquon Barkley's career, I don't care how good he is, that's a problem for this franchise. And you could say it was a mistake not drafting a quarterback. We just don't know. Yeah. You know, there's too many moving pieces. And, you know, to say it was a, a it was a right call picking Barkley because he's the best running back in the draft and he fits them perfectly for what they need. Absolutely. But to make any you know pronouncements right now that their problems are solved for the next decade, absolutely impossible to tell. There are more – there's more evidence of great running backs who have been wasted without having a good quarterback to you know get them into the conference championship game Super Bowl than there have been great running backs who've been to the Super Bowl. I mean, think of, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson's. Think of uh, Barry, Sanders. Barry Sanders. You know, think of all of these guys. You know, so we don't know, and 
we just have this every week. It's just getting so tiresome of this guy's the king of New York. They made a mistake. Let's do the weekly comparison of Sand Arnold and, and Barkley. It's just fucking stupid. Well, here's the and, thing. You know, here's the thing. Who gives a shit? You can't change it now. So just it is what it is, and you you're, you should just be happy that he's playing really well. Yeah. The alternative could be that they could have made the decision between uh, Sam Darnold and Ryan Leaf. Yeah. I mean, that's when it really gets like, oh, we just we whiffed on the wrong quarterback. You know, is the as the plan in the fans eyes changed from now from four weeks ago where there were visions of uh, uh, Justin Herbert? Yes. This is not one of the worst teams in the league. We are not going to be drafting first. We will not be drafting in the present configuration the first drafting for the first quarterback. There may be a trade. There may be a free agent signing. We don't know. So I think when you reallocate what your expectations are, things are different. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into some farts here, and uh, go for it. There there were things that could, you know, made me a little nauseated watching this forty to sixteen route. Believe it or not, and uh, the first thing was Fox. Um, am I the <laughs> only one who likes Kevin Burkhart? I think Kevin Burkhart is great. Why do we keep getting Chris Myers? Why do we keep getting Tom Brenneman? Why do we keep getting these guys? Uh, Okay, I I understand that we're not playing well, but these guys shouldn't be on the air. Is Saquon Barkley ripped off a 78-yard run, and I thought Chris Myers fell asleep before he scored a touchdown. How can you not get excited for that? Yeah, I mean, Fox, their most exciting announcer, isn't even doing the NFL anymore, and that's Gus Johnson. Hmm. I mean, there is no other announcer who can make the end of a Buffalo-Atlanta game sound like it's, you know, the most exciting thing you've ever seen in your life. But that's their decision to make him, you know, do college basketball. So that's that's fine. But there's too many of these guys that just sound like robots. And, you know, they're like, they sound like they're interchangeable between Fox Sports, Fox News, Fox Business. They have that just, that stick-up-their-ass delivery where, you know, not that they're, Bad announcers, they don't say the wrong thing. They're just, you know, watch soccer. Watch Premier League. You don't even have to be watching the game. You could be you know, in the bathroom taking your, you know, shaving or something. And you know when something important is about to happen because the pitch and the inflection raise and get more excited. It does not happen with a majority of these Fox announcers. The color commentators are all... The same kind of, they all think they're John Madden. They all have this guy talk, you know, mentality of, you know, we're just some bros in a bar talking about it. Everything, and my big pet peeve, Grump, is if I hear the word unbelievable (laughs) one more fucking time, (laughs) everything is believable. If something has never happened before and we never thought it was going to happen, that's unbelievable. A guy catching a ball one-handed it's not an unbelievable catch. You know, Saquon Barkley getting 170 yards in the first half is not unbelievable. I can picture in my brain a running back doing that. So, you know, the, the combination of just these uninspired announcers, the tired cliches, and the, the histrionics of the, you know, hyperbole. Ugh. It's just, you know, take me back to the old days when you had guys like, Don Cricky and Bob Trumpy and, you know, all these announcers that they're, they're, they're distinctive and they sound like it was a big game. That's these interchangeable bores. I'm just going to throw this out there. My favorite announcer doesn't do football either. I think he's actually retired now, but Doc Emmerich. Oh, he still does hockey. Yeah, I think he only does playoff hockey now, right? Uh, no, he does, um, he does the, um, NBC Sports Network, I think the Wednesday night game of the week, okay. I think. He used yeah. to do, I think, exclusively Devil's Broadcast. Back in the day. Yeah, he's outstanding. Yes. Um, here's, an, here's another fart for you. 
playing your fight song when you're down 32 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> also, getting a taunting penalty when you're down 24 points with less than five minutes to go. Well. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I have a better idea of what to do if I'm like the, uh, I, I don't know what you'd call them, but essentially the stadium DJ, but. Well, remember, Washington is different. They have a band. They have that. Uh, they've been around for 70 years. So when you hear the fight song, that is actually a band playing it. I, I can't believe they oh. were still there. Were they the entire audience at that point? <laughs> I don't know. That's just I, embarrassing. I, I, I feel your point, though. Yeah, it's a little, uh, you know, but again, I think I'm going to throw a little addendum to your complaint. These celebrations mm. in the end zone are embarrassing they're not fresh they're not unique how many times are you going to see after an interception you know 11 guys running out there and doing that stupid ass pose (laughs) it's you know the nfl wants this they relax the rules yeah i get it these guys can do this so it's not a question of you know these guys are taking upon themselves to do it hey hey and i'm I'm just going to add a little point there i like the fact that the nfl let this happen because it's not fair for them to slap these guys and find them and then also use all of that footage of them celebrating to promote your brand. So I like that they relax the rule. If they're going to use all that footage of guys dancing and stuff to promote their brand, then they shouldn't be flagged and fined for it. Well, I have an idea. Yeah. Stop using that footage to promote the brand. That's fine actually, if that's the decision it, it, you want to go to. But they know that the fans like it. Well, the fans are morons. I'm just saying they made they made a business decision, and then they made the right decision to follow it up. So I mean, the league has some of the most exciting highlights of any sport. You know, the throws, the catches, the hits. Well, I guess you know they don't like hits anymore. But <laughs> there's so much to pull fun from to make this league more marketable and more entertaining. And the second I knew this was going to happen, the second they relaxed the rules that None of it's going to feel spontaneous. None of it's going to feel like happiness that they'd scored or a big play. It's all become pre-planned, look-at-me nonsense. And you know what's going to happen is players are going to start taking exception to it, that it's you know over the top, and you're going to see real brawls start. I don't think everybody's in on the joke that this is all kind of what you do. I think someone's going to look at something the wrong way. He's going to get pissed off that someone, you know, burnt me as a cornerback and now he's acting like some jack off in the end zone, you're going to see real trouble. So I, I personally thought it was a big mistake when they chained, they, they, uh, they lightened the, the rules for, uh, you know, celebration and stuff. I wish they go back to the way it was. I'm not there to watch fucking dance fever. I'm there to watch football. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in for uh, Grump and Clint Eastwood broadcast there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I could care less. I'm not really into it. I mean, sometimes it'll make me laugh if something actually happens, but for the most part, I really don't care. All right, let's get into to a real fart here. I'm giving one to Kyle Aletta, and, uh, you know, there's a caveat to that. Um, I did not expect him to play well, partly because of who he is, partly because he's a rookie playing for the first time. And he's probably nervous, and we've said at length that he has not had a ton of reps with the ones. Now, because I'm giving a fart to him, and it's a fair fart, he did not play well at all, that doesn't mean anything, that it can't be redeemed, he doesn't mean that he can't become a great quarterback later, or anything like that, I'm just being fair, he looked like shit. He's not ready to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah. I mean... I, 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 you know, I, I feel bad for the guy because he's put into a situation where, like you said, he's not ready to, and he may not have the ability to handle. I don't feel bad for him. Here, here, here's well, why. I mean, here's why I don't feel bad for him. If he were, if Eli Manning were pulled in earlier in the season because he wasn't playing well and the team wasn't playing well, and then he goes out there and puts out a performance like that, then I'd feel bad for him. But here's a situation where he can go in there and stink it up, and nobody on Twitter is talking about Kyle Aletta. Nobody. Nobody cares. It's okay that he didn't play well. Everyone's giving him the excuses that he deserves. Now if Well the only thing I saw the only thing I saw on Twitter was the other extreme of 
Well, if you didn't think it was a mistake drafting Saquon, now what do you think? Or it's now obvious we need to get a quarterback next year. We need to trade up or we need to sign this guy that's or not, whatever. That's not the same thing. That's that's not putting the blame on him. That's putting the blame on Gettleman for not prioritizing the position or whatever. It's not the same as if, if they had put him in earlier in the year, you know, he, he would have caught. He'd be worse. Yeah, yeah. he'd be worse. The fan reaction would be worse. You know, I, I don't feel bad for him. I, you know, the coaches know what they see in practice, right? And I, I've been saying this. It's why he hasn't been getting reps up until lately. And, you know, it's why he wasn't put into games. It's why Pat Shermer was defensive about, you know. Well, Grump, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Was he in this game yesterday because he is ready to play right now no. or because the game was so out of reach? Why not? It was, you know. He's purely in there because of the game situation. Yeah. That game was a 14-9 game. He would not sniff the field because he is not ready. Sure. So putting him out there is a disservice to him because a oh. situation dictated that he should go out no, there. No, 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 no. It, it's not a disservice. He gets reps. He gets some in-game experience. That was real for him, you know, and it came with no consequences. There was there, – there was, he could only benefit himself. That's what I'm saying. He went out there. He stunk up the place. Nobody cares. The coaching staff doesn't care. They're not freaking out, panicking. What are we going to do? That It's okay. They're, they're in control. It looks like Eli Manning is back next year at this point. Um, you know, they can – they have the rest of the year to see what else Kyle Laletta has in practice. He can build off of that experience. Hey, it's more than Davis Webb got. That's true. Um, you know, I don't think he did a disservice to himself. It, it you know, whatever. You, you know, what what did you see that was, you know, you can chalk off to first time maybe jitters and stuff. But what did you see that was like? Um, I actually thought his first pass of the game, which was ruled incomplete, was right on the sideline. Fox never gave us a replay. Thanks. Um, <laughs> was It was great. He was rolling out of the pocket. He threw a laser. It was right along the sideline where only his receiver could catch it. He just stepped out of bounds. Um, that was good. You know, I thought that when he was asked to throw, he kind of rushed his decisions a little bit. They just looked like rookie jitters to me. And to be quite frank, he looked just the same way Eli Manning did on his first start. Um, mm-hmm. When he was asked to hand the ball off and call plays in the huddle and take snaps under center, etc., he did everything else well. I mean, we didn't see an abysmal performance like mishandling snaps or false starts even. I mean, that's something people don't think about, but no false starts with his cadence or you know broken plays where maybe he didn't call the right thing in the huddle. You know, I, I didn't think it was atrocious it just he didn't look good throwing the ball it looked a little forced a little panicky but nothing i wouldn't have expected and it, it, to be honest with you i don't think i flinched the whole time he was in anything you saw from like his just overall delivery or his size or anything that make you say just watching about the, the initial eye test like this is the next quarterback of the new york giants no no I mean, I don't know if you did, but I mean, he. I thought when he threw, he threw things on a rope. It was just his decision-making, maybe his vision. I liked his mobility. I thought that he moved around well. He wasn't just running. He kept his eyes downfield. You know, the little things. And that's really all I was looking for. He looks like a backup to me. I mean, forget even forget anything, even the ball coming out of his hand. He just looks like a backup. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I got that much out of it, but... He was sort of playing the backup role. I mean, after a couple of bad throws and an interception, they pretty much also it was also the the down distance situation with the the clock. He was just yeah, I think we ran like nine straight running plays, something like that. Yeah, we were just trying to get out of there at that point. Um, but I think that's a fair assessment of Kyle. Loya. Yeah. Uh, do we think we'll see more? Game action from him in games that aren't 36-point blowouts. This year? Yes. I also don't think there's a 36-point blowout left on the schedule. Well, that was my point. That was my question is, let's say it's not a 36-point blowout. Let's say the score is 20 to 10. Is he going to get into any more games in that situation? No. No. I don't think so either. Um. 
I, I did want to throw one more thing out, and it was something I noticed, uh, and this is not super important, but I think it's something nobody has really considered. Uh, at the end of the game, Saquon Barkley was pulled, Wayne Gallman came in, and he did not look great. Uh, they were not able to sustain drives. They had to keep punting it away. The defense, I mean, we didn't even touch on the, the depth on defense played pathetically. Cameron Moore does not belong on an NFL roster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But <laughs> after Wayne Gallman was not able to shoulder the workload, the cleanup duty, they switched to Elijah Penny, a fullback. Now, you know, I start thinking about the priority that Dave Gettleman had on signing Jonathan Stewart. What we both thought Jonathan Stewart's role was going to be was, you know, third, fourth quarter duty to run through a worn down defense. You know, whether or not Jonathan Stewart himself was the best plan is irrelevant to my my point here. Um, What are the chances that the Giants uh, put some sort of premium on a larger north and south running back? to compliment Saquon Barkley. You mean the draft next year? The draft, free agency, whatever. I could see it in the draft. I could see it as a low-cost guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll go into free agency and do it. I think uh, what's this is Gallman's second year, so they have two more years. And that's that's not control. to say that they will get rid of Gallman or not use him. I just think no, that... No, 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 no. I... I I think it was someone that will come out of the draft. I don't think they're going to spend any money on a guy like that. Interesting, though. I don't think anyone's even thinking that when they think of the offseason. Well, they got to, they, I don't think they're going to roll with just two running backs for sure. I mean, I think uh, it's safe to say that um, Stewart's not coming back, right? Well, yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is that that third running back isn't just going to be the third running back. I think he might actually be the second. I think Wayne Gallman will be really be... Barkley's sort of backup. He won't be Barkley's compliment. Yeah, I, I I could see that. I mean, if they didn't draft Barkley, what would your feeling of Gallman be? I think that Wayne Gallman, we, you and I would be talking about him the same way we've talked about the last couple running backs on this offense, probably since Ahmad Bradshaw, in that when they're when they have a good offensive line. He can do things, but he doesn't do the things he needs to do to make the first guy miss. And I, we've said that about Paul Perkins, Rashad Jennings, Peyton Hillis. I mean, go on and on and on. Right. Um, I think that's what we'd say. And I think that's why he serves well in sort of spot duty, um, you know, big holes, I, but I, he he doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, he can catch the ball well out of the backfield. He runs good routes. He has decent hands. He has, you know, shiftiness. He's got burst. He's just not Barkley. And until this offensive line cleans up its act, we need somebody like Barkley. I, I think he's like a Swiss Army knife, but nothing is outstanding of anything that he does. Jack of all trades. Like he, he can do those things, but there's nothing that says like, oh, Look at that burst. Look at that cut. Look at that block. Look at that. There's none of that, but he could do all of those things. Yeah. This season is shaking. I think a lot of Giant fans are starting to settle into that mixture between number one overall pick and still think we can make the playoffs. I think, you know, it was it was it was nice to watch a football game where you kick the shit out of a team that you hate. But don't think about the big picture immediately after it. You know, that, that's how I felt. I wasn't thinking about, well, as soon as the game's over, well, if Dallas loses A, B, and C, we're in that kind of unique place right now in the standings and the season where it was nice just to enjoy being the shit out of somebody, a team you can't stand. So that to me was, you know, a little therapeutic and nice to have where, you know, we're not in that rat race of wor- constantly worrying about we're going to make the playoffs or we should have lost to help our draft status. And uh, this team actually is still mathematically in the wild card hunt. I'll go over all those specifics 
on our Friday morning episode where we will talk about the upcoming match between the Giants and the Tennessee Titans at home in MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Um, And remember, you can catch all of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can subscribe and you don't have to follow us on Twitter to find out that these episodes are up. They'll just be ready to go and listen to on your way to work in the morning uh, every Friday and Tuesday. Listen, you, you subscribe to other podcasts. There's no reason you're not subscribing to this one. No commercials. No pleas for uh, sponsors. Well, maybe we're pleading for sponsors. Yeah. But, yeah. Go ahead and, go ahead and uh, subscribe to us. And while you're at it, how about leaving us a nice five-star rating and a review to say how much you love us? Because the more ratings and reviews we get, the more giant fans we do get to talk to. And we build our empire, our uh, our Just Giants empire to reach out to every single giant fan out there in the New York area or around the world wherever you're listening to. So uh, if you want to tell us how great we are, you can also follow me on Twitter at the cranky fan. We are talking this time of year, the rest of the giant season, getting ready for recruiting for my Florida Gators with a bowl game in about a month away, winter meetings for baseball, all these different things. So, you know, me just also blasting UCF, that little bitch school, that little, uh, Commuter U, that one where all UF rejects go. So go give me a follow and give me a, uh, a shout out and love to talk to you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm fully invested in the Giants. That is my number one priority. So if you follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump, uh, I will interact with everything, everyone. Um, I was just talking shit to a Texans fan who said that, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. I just said of all the teams this year, the Giants played only six can talk shit to them. The Houston Texans are not one of them. Um, <laughs> no, whatever, though. I mean, I, I, I do my best to bring some sort of insight onto Twitter and things that maybe people aren't thinking about or, you know, stuff like that. So I'm a decent follow, even if you just have a question or if you just want to call me an idiot for something you heard me say, by all means, follow me on there. Call me an idiot and I'd be happy to discuss at length. My yeah. mom would agree with you. Uh, absolutely. We, we really appreciate uh, Mama Grump for uh, those fantastic texts we get as soon as the game is over. Yes. The insight is fantastic. Better than most of you people out there, that's for sure. <laughs> and with that lovely analysis, go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.